Welcome to the Emerging Women Podcast, where we hear from brilliant women leaders creating big change in the world. I'm Chantal Purat, your host, and today we're talking money, honey. Amanda Steinberg, founder of Daily Worth and Worth FM, has some juicy tidbits to share to help us flip the script around our finances so we can create wealth for ourselves and the world with clarity and confidence. Amanda launched Daily Worth in 2009 to bring a fresh voice and an outsider's perspective to personal finance, and we discuss what led her to launch the women-centric investment platform Worth FM toward the end of this podcast. Oprah selected her for the exclusive Super Soul 100, and Forbes named her one of 21 new American money masters. Her new book, Worth It, tackles the issues around women and money because guess what, people? In the next 15 years, women are going to inherit two-thirds of the $40 million moving from baby boomers to the two generations below. A perfect storm of opportunity is coming, and Amanda wants to make sure you're ready for it. Whether you're a budget-averse or a fiscal hoarder, Amanda's big-picture strategy of focusing on your net worth, knowing your money type, and identifying your roots and wings will have you breathing a sigh of relief as you roll up your sleeves and dig into this money stuff. Let's hear it from the goddess of women's finance herself, Amanda Steinberg, with this week's conversation, Worth It. Welcome, Amanda Steinberg. How are you? I am so good. I'm so excited to be here with you, Chantal. I know. It's been way too long. Way too long. I know. I think we might be catching up and going over all the good stuff you're doing and your new book all in one podcast. I think it's going to get juicy. Okay. So I wanted to ask you right off the bat what you mean by your title, Worth It. And yet I realize that I might be uncovering maybe too much because we also want to talk about net worth as well. But I'm going to go there. I'm going to go there, and then we're going to get into your personal story. But, you know, you're writing a a money book. Obviously, it's geared towards women. And I want to know what you mean when you say worth it. When I talk about worth it, I'm specifically talking about a shift that is happening and really needs to happen for women right now that really goes against the grain of who we thought we should be and what we thought we wanted. And it's a real identity shift, but it is um, what I'm really speaking about is that for at least a hundred or 200 years, um, there's been a very clear division in the domestic realm of our society where investing and the bigger money picture has been the man's job and women have focused more on the day to day. And the transition that a lot of women are going through right now, either by choice or by circumstance, there's plenty of women who are doing it because they have to, not because they want to, is a massive psychological transition for us because it's, it's an affront to our femininity and it has us question how we fit in our families and what our lives are supposed to look like because when we delegate all of our financial responsibility to men, we, are, we remain dependent and we don't have the freedom and the control and influence in our lives. And so what Worth It is about is really about making that transition and that shift into owning your financial future and dealing with all the like yuckiness that comes up as a result of it, especially in the context of how hard it is to deal with money when you weren't a big fan of it in the first place. 
Right. And so we're talking about an internal shift in perspective of what we feel like we're capable of. And there is an aversion. I mean, I feel it myself. And I know some men who feel it too, to kind of, you know, and I know like the trends are definitely men are controlling a lot of the financial investments. And, but I know that there's a, there's a lot of aversion to this. There's a lot of mystery and I'm curious to see that link unfold in this podcast between that inner sense of worth and kind of rolling up our sleeves and getting into the game. Yeah, and I, and I know that um, lots of men feel this way. And I got to tell you, the traditional financial industry in this country has not made it easier. There's right. this idea that there's a right way and a wrong way to do things. And that's not true. And that's a lot of what this book also explores. Yeah, and I love the way you've laid it out. I was all ready to kind of cringingly read some budget advice. And thankfully, that didn't happen until the very, very end of the book. So um, so I know we're into some new territory here. Tell us a little bit about the landscape now. Now, you, you know, we talked about worth it. And we talked about, you know, the sort of internal shift and breaking down this old paradigm of how we're managing and looking at money. But there's a very real situation going on here with regards to women actually having a lot of power. And tell us where we are in terms of our economic influence in this country. Yeah, it's really extraordinary. And it's one of my greatest motivators for focusing on women and money is that over the next 15 years, this country is going through a massive wealth shift. There's about $40 trillion moving from the boomer generation into the two generations below it. Um, and as a result of that, because women outlive men and a few other social dynamics, that women are inheriting uh, two-thirds of this wealth, you know, about $25 trillion. Think about the amount of influence that we have and the amount of power that we have, but none of that is going to transpire unless we understand how to manage and how to direct this money. Right. And so, I mean, with regards to like making a case that we're worth it, like literally, we are worth it. Yeah, it, and that's a choice, and that's a leap that a lot of women have to make because um, I've, you know, I've been studying the subject of women and money for eight years now, mm -hmm. and I've, I've noticed so many commonalities that are true whether you have a little bit of money, a lot of money, etc. And one of them is how our society values women who are selfless those who give their time away, those who do extraordinary things and don't look mm -hmm. for anything in return. This is very much seen as a feminine quality. And as a result of that, women have internalized selflessness as good and therefore seen saving or taking care of themselves um, as bad. Mm -hmm. And part of this massive transition is, is, of course, our ability to value ourselves because it's very hard to manage money for yourself, even if you see it as a means to helping others unless you see yourself as valuable and it's not as selfish to take care of yourself and make yourself stronger. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now you, you really do put a lot of emphasis on this internal viewpoint and sort of self-concept. And I love that, but a lot of it does come from just starting with our personal story. And I love how you talk about your mom and what you've learned from that. Can you share with our audience a little bit more about your personal story as you were growing up and the quote money story that you inherited from your life story and the connection also between money story and life story I thought was interesting in the book. 
So my mom and my dad separated when I was two years old, and my mom was raised to be the perfect 1950s housewife and never thought she would be alone and had really no idea how to be alone. So her struggle with her divorce wasn't just financial. It, it was really about how do I become an independent being whenever I never planned on being one. And part of her message to me was, Amanda, you better be financially independent when you grow up because I do not want you landing in the same situation that I am in. Um, but the funny thing is, is though, even though I didn't grow up looking for a man to take care of me and I've always been an entrepreneur, I still had this rescue fantasy that I was going to be saved by my ambition and that I was just going to make so much money that magically I would have a lot of it because I didn't really understand how to, how to build net worth, how to build long-term financial security for myself. I just equated financial success with earning. So what happened to me was I got married and I, I married a lovely man, but not the person that I was supposed to be with and ended up divorced and $100,000 in debt by the time I was 30. So even with this incredible warning and thinking I knew everything, I didn't. And I ended up in the same exact situation as my mom. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have one exercise in the book where you're like, you know, tell your money story in one sentence, which I thought was freaking hard. But, you know, if you were going to give us an example of that, how would you, how would you talk about your story in one sentence? And, and what use is that? Yeah, for me, it was, I'm a spender, not a saver, but I earn so much, I'll be okay. Uh-huh. And it was, it was really interesting because I lived by this and I just assumed that it was truth. And it wasn't until I realized that all of these things that we say about ourselves happen at a certain point in our life. They're not necessarily true. There's no hard wiring. It doesn't exist. There are brains and they're very malleable. Um, and it wasn't until I realized that that wasn't true, that I could become a saver if I wanted to, that I could shift the dynamics that were keeping me on the treadmill. It was, mm -hmm. it was just a really powerful um, uh, breakdown of truths that were just keeping me in this horrible uh, hamster wheel getting me nowhere. And so once you have like your money story, which comes from your life story, boiled down into one sentence, what did you do and, and how do you recommend recreating that? And I know you did something that you call brainwashing. <laughs> yeah, I think the best way to recreate it is to go to a website called moneytype.me, um, where you can take a 40-question um, a 40 assessment and it gives you a report similar to Myers-Briggs, but it's created by us with a PhD in psychotherapy specifically around your money story. Mm -hmm. And so it helps you understand what your strengths are and what your sabotage patterns are. Mm -hmm. And so I would recommend going there. Um, you know, for me, I, it was really about identifying as a saver. I just decided once I realized that it's all made up that I'm going to call myself a saver. And even on the days where my, my emergency fund gets obliterated, which happens plenty of times, mm -hmm. um, uh, that all you have to do is move money from your checking account to your savings account and suddenly you are a saver again. You can rebuild integrity and you can rebuild anew. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it's more interesting and more nuanced than that. And that's why we built moneytype.me, which is to help you understand your view of money and then the various facets of how that plays out in your financial life. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And we're going to get into those types a little bit here as well. But before we do that, I would love to hear what you mean by net worth. So I 
when I was $100,000 in debt and I started Daily Worth eight years ago, that was why I started Daily Worth, by the way. It was because I wanted, I was just going to put myself totally exposed on the internet because I figured that was the only way to hold myself accountable and get mm-hmm. myself out of my hellhole. Um, and uh, I, I did that because I really wanted to um, understand why I had been following budgeting for the 10 years prior and it wasn't working. Mm-hmm. And what I discovered was that Finance is taught in our society in a very specific way. They say you should set goals for yourself and then you should create a plan in order to get to those goals. And then you need a budget to make sure that you don't overspend. And the the truth is, and what I realized is that that only works for about 30% of people. And that leaves 70% of the rest of us who have different personality types to constantly feel overwhelmed and struggle. Mm -hmm. So, what I, what I discovered, I've discovered a lot of things over the last eight years, but the, the fundamental most important thing isn't that you budget. Budget is not the center of every successful financial person. What's at the center is your net worth. And your net worth is when you calculate the value of everything that you own, like your house and your retirement accounts and your car, um, and then you subtract from it everything that you owe, like your mortgage, your student loans, and your credit card debt. And you're left with a single number. And that single number may be negative hundreds of thousands, or it may be positive in the millions. What matters is where that number is and how you are moving it continuously in the positive direction. And that's critical because if you, if you are a good budgeter, awesome, keep doing that. But if you're a bad budgeter like I was, then you constantly feel frustrated and demoralized that you're not doing finance right. Mm -hmm. And so if you focus on your net worth, you start to realize why all of that matters. It's about building equity and building ownership in things so that you have longer-term security and that you're not just putting all of your money towards things that fizzle out and don't have any value for you in the future. Mm -hmm. I loved – it was so simple. It was such a great exercise, and it was easy, and it – was really great exercise to do. I'm happy to say that I was in the positive, but not as positive as I would have liked to have seen. So anyway, I'll be working on that. Now you have a great metaphor, which you got from your mom, and you're looking at our financial investments and the way that we work with money in terms of roots and wings. Can you explain that? Yeah, you know, I was I was raised by a single mom who really let me do whatever I felt like. And it was strange to me because, you know, as as a kid, you do crave some sense of normalcy. You do crave some sense of boundaries. And I didn't really have many. And I remember one day I said to my mom, Mom, why don't you put a lot of rules on me? And she said, Amanda, it's because I believe that my job as your mother is only to give you two things roots and wings, roots to make sure that you know that you have a secure family that loves you and wings, which is the confidence to do whatever you want in life. And if I can give you those two things, I believe you'll have everything that you need to succeed. And when I, when I reflect on that, I, I, what I also realized is that's an incredible metaphor for finance. Because if we're looking to flip the annoying kind of keep a budget, you know, you know, be austere, be frugal, buy everything on discount, all that stuff that works for some, but not most people, or those of us who want just a different way of looking at things, if you look at your finances through the perspective of roots and wings, what happens is you start to think about your roots or your assets or the things that are really going to grow in value over time as primary and income and budgets as secondary so that you are building long-term security and not just kind of shoving some money into your retirement account after you've paid all your bills if you have enough left over. 
So I'll explain it a little bit more in detail. Your roots are essentially three things. Your investment account, your home, your real estate, and your business, if you're building a business that way. I'll repeat that again. There are essentially three roots. Your investment account, your home, and your business. Many of us have um, businesses, but some of us are freelancers where we're selling our time for a certain amount of money. That's not necessarily a business that's a root because it requires you to be there and show up in order for it to mm-hmm. function and make money. A business is a root once it starts generating income outside of you and actually has equity that can be sold for a certain price, regardless of whether or not you're working on it or not. But the, the reason why that was so important to me in the book to make roots come before wings is that it's exhausting if all you've ever done is tried to budget and see if you can squeeze out an extra 100 bucks to put in your retirement account and always feel like you're failing versus looking at your roots and picking which roots you want to grow and then seeing your wings or your income as as a feeder, as a watering can for those roots. And it just it, it reprioritizes and makes it all a lot simpler. Mm, I love it so much. And then you talk about wingspan in terms of taking a look at your income and your access to cash and your mobility on under the wings. Can you talk more about that? Sure. So wings is really about is your cash flow. So most of us derive our cash flow from three sources. Your income, if you have one, your savings account, if you've been fortunate enough to build a savings account. And it's important this is a liquid savings account, not something that's tied up in investments. And the third is credit, whether that's a credit card or some sort of home equity line of credit or something of that nature. Um, Obviously, you want to lean more on your income and your savings when you need to. Credit has a cost associated with it, but it's still an investment. It's it's still liquidity that allows you to thrive in life, whether that's building your investments um, or living your life. And what I emphasize in the book is really how do you minimize your overhead? Um, How do you live with as few um, uh, overhead, uh, consistent bills and mortgage payments, et cetera, so that you can continuously expand your cash flow? Because that's really where you start to feel affluent when you're building assets, when you're building your roots, and you also aren't what I became, which was desperately house poor for many years. Mm. Yeah, a lot of people I know now, especially millennials, are feeling very, and if they're in areas like New York or San Francisco or certainly here in Boulder, they're just feeling so disheartened. They really want the house. You know, they really feel like that's the way, get the house. And I'm curious to see what you think about that. Well, I know you read the chapter, so you, you, I'm you sure you know what's coming. It all comes back to the net worth equation. And yeah. houses are really not the investments that we believe them to be mm-hmm. unless they reach a few certain points of criteria. If you get a 30-year mortgage, which is what most people get, you're paying interest on that mortgage for years and years and years while you're also investing money into fixing repairs in your home. So your equity in that house is actually going down, even if the market is going up relative to your house. Really vital. Now, lots of people want a home because they want to feel secure and they want control over their nest. That is a completely valid desire, and I share that desire. Just don't confuse your lifestyle choice with with what actually makes it an investment. Mm. Yeah, and I think that, you know, it was really great. You know, the point that you're making in this is that you can create affluence no matter what your salary is and that sense of 
affluence comes from access to cash. I mean, they say it, right? Cash is king. God, you know that when you're an entrepreneur, but it's no difference in your personal life. Yeah, but it's also really easy to fall prey to, you know, I can't drive a car like that. People will think I'm poor and then I won't appear successful or my parents will be um, ashamed of me if I don't live in a certain kind of house or a certain neighborhood. There's social expectations are, I think, even more powerful than we are as individuals in many situations. It's very hard to go against the grain. But the reality is, is that, you know, staying with social norms is oftentimes far exceeds our capacity from an income standpoint. So we really have to look at this and go, hmm, is it really important that I, you know, drive the car my mom thinks I should drive or do I really just need to buy a 10-year-old Toyota hatchback um, that, you know, has manual steering and call it a day? Right. Well, you know, it's interesting that you keep, we're influenced a lot too by the generation before us. And I want to touch on millennials for a second here because I've just heard that millennials are not going to reach the same level of affluence and have the same sort of economic power that their parents had. And I'm curious to see if you're seeing any trends there with regards to how they should be looking at their own economic power and their own personal finance. Yeah, I mean, it's it's this American obsession with growth, which I think we have to question overall, and many of us who care about sustainability and the planet are. I don't think that it matters that we're not reaching our parents' level of wealth. I think that our parents, many of our parents, lived with an extraordinary amount of excess and space and things that require a lot of resources that we know is not sustainable. So I don't think that we should be looking just to maximize and beat the generation before us. I think we're all here because we're asking really different questions about what wealth means, what sustainability means, and what is it we really need that's going to make us happy and why having three cars and 5,000 square feet is not necessarily the answer the way our parents thought it was. Hallelujah. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting that also you're really putting a lot of emphasis on one of the roots being entrepreneurship, given the fact that it is such a volatile ride and risky, especially for women. I know a lot of women that are quitting their jobs and becoming entrepreneurs and they have kids and it is a new paradigm that's happening, but it doesn't feel like a root sometimes when you're in it, you know? Um, well, it's it's yeah. the riskiest of routes, and I don't recommend it as the primary route. Um, I, and by the way, all the advice I'm giving is because I did it, and I'm suffering as a result, and I'm kind of like the example of what not to do and how everything had to change. Um, yeah. You know, businesses are illiquid, which means that, say your business is worth a million dollars on paper because of its contract, it doesn't mean that you can just sell half of it for half a million dollars and pocket that $500,000. It doesn't work that way. Um, so when you're focused on your net worth, I would say keep your business outside of that because um, businesses are they're just very, very tricky objects. And you can be making millions of dollars but spending more than that just to keep the business going or having cash flow issues or the market can change. Whereas a house pretty much maintains its value unless it's really extreme. And if you're investing in um, passive funds or you're, you're in a diversified portfolio managed by an advisor – you're pretty sure that over, even if you'll take a hit here and there, that over the long term it will grow. That Those are those are the roots that I really want folks to focus on. Um, business yeah. is a very, very hard route to build. Got it. 
I just want to say one more thing about that is that, you know, actually having been in that situation, being in a paying job and then leaving that and jumping ship and doing the entrepreneurship route, I do feel like it's empowered me as a woman more than anything to really grab hold of my finances, especially having raised money and all of that than anything else, like the budgeting or the QuickBooks or, you know, stuff I, we, you know, you mentioned in your book, all the categorizations and all that stuff that my husband and I have done. Nothing has really kind of connected me to cash flow and, and the way money works than, than starting a business has. Well, yeah. I mean, businesses live and die by cash and you know, as well as I do, they always need more cash. (laughs) They eat cash for breakfast. Uh, so it's, um, you know, yeah, I mean, the, the point of a business isn't just to build a big business. It's to profit yourself and to build your own net worth, to be able to, you know, build equity in your home and to fund your retirement account and know that you're going to be secure later on in life and pay for your kids' education or whatever it is that's important to you. Um, and a lot of us get so caught up in generating more revenue, more revenue, more revenue. But the reality is, is it doesn't matter if you're not able to take home some of that revenue and use it to fund yourself. What's the point? Right. Let's jump to women in retirement. This is a big one. This is one that I get a lot, but I think it keeps women in jobs they don't want to be in, and it keeps them in the zone of anxiety and fear when they're, you know, whether they're working for somebody else or they have their own business or they're, you know, recently divorced or what trends are you seeing and and what advice do you have for women who may be like in their 40s and just now thinking about retirement? Well, first of all, I just want you to know that my mom did not even start saving for retirement until age 42. She had nothing, and she just retired with um, a, a, more than enough to live for the next 25 years at age 72. So it is possible. Um, so, uh, And you can read more about that in the book. Yeah, retirement is a weird thing because I'm just going to be straight with you. The system in the United States is broken. It's impossible for most people to save as much as they quote-unquote should save. And therefore, all of the advice that's been given, most people feel like failures because you have to save like 1000 to $2,000 a month into your retirement account when that is, you know, a quarter to a fifth of most people's take-home pay. So that's kind of, you know, that's, that's very hard to justify in your head when there's so many other things that are sitting right in front of you to pay for Um, but I think that at the same time, it's good to know what it would cost to retire at age 65. If that's a goal of yours, then absolutely create that goal and work toward it. And then the next most important thing is to make sure that you understand how you're investing for retirement so that you know that you have the proper allocation of, um, stocks versus bonds so that you are working with an advisor who you know isn't selling you, just selling you commission products because it's good for them. It has to be good for you as well. That you know if you're paying half a percentage in fees or if you're paying one to one and a half percentage in fees because that can have a huge impact on how much money is actually staying in your account. Um, And, uh, you know, for this one, Chantal, I'm concerned that if I continue to talk about it, that I'm going to put everyone to sleep because it's it's kind of an emotional subject. It's a dry subject. Um, but I hope that the chapter on retirement in my book, which I, where I joke that I give my kids extra desserts so they'll take care of me when they need me and I run out of money, um, 
uh, I hope that it, that's really a good one to read because I think if we talk about it much longer, people are going to start to twitch and tune out. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm not like as much interested in the, I mean, obviously your book has so many great tips. I just, you know, you know, tips for what your net worth, what you should be aiming for, you know, just like really easy, quick things that I've already started to incorporate. And I know that on the retirement chapter, there's a ton there. But what about like the, that fear, like that, you know, it's like the, the quintessential fear of women is that we're all going to be bag ladies. And, and there is a quote in your book where you say that I was curious about that 90% of all women will at some point be on their own financially. So this, you know, that's like, it's a fear, but it also seems to be real from that statistic. And, and I, and I, I'm just curious to see if they're beyond doing the work in the book. Is there some kind of internal, what's the hurdle that we have to get over it in order to just say, look, you know, we might be alone and we need to, you know, roll up our sleeves and make this happen. Yeah, well, that's exactly what we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast is, Part of that fear is because we don't feel like we have control over money and we're overwhelmed by money. But that's what this book is about, is about helping you go through this shift now so that you understand all of it and that it's not scary to you and that you're like, oh, yeah, I got this. Like, I got yeah. this. I get it. I own it. And I'm, I have it handled. And that is, um, that's a lot about changing your money story. It's about understanding the basics. And even though if you're not picking your, your funds, that you understand why your money is invested the way it is and what it's costing you and how it's growing, if it's growing relative to the market. And, and you just get to this point where, you know, my life, I, I'm, I've always been an entrepreneur. So my personal finances have always gone way up and way down, way up and way down. And that's just the right. kind of lifestyle of a high-risk entrepreneur. Um, but I'm not worried about my retirement because I understand how the decisions I'm making are impacting it. Sometimes I worry that I'm not going to have the right amount of funds but I have a general sense of how I'm going to solve for that. And so that is, uh, I think the bag lady syndrome really comes back to the fact that we've been told this wasn't our job and that we should just want to be taken care of. And how can you feel secure about anything when you don't understand it and you have no control over it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's the shift. And we talked about this also in the beginning of the podcast where we're linking net worth and self-worth and you Make a point in your book to talk about how it's important when you're thinking about self-worth to think about the why, you know, what is it that you want in your life and why? And yet that that same why happens to hold women back. Can you explain that a little bit? Sure. So, you know, saving isn't selfish. And if there's anything to tweet from this, it's that saving isn't selfish, even though a lot of us may have that experience. Um, but the, at the same time, saving money just doesn't inspire a lot of people. They're like, great, I put money in my savings account. Yes, I know I'm going to be really happy it's there, but I'd so much rather spend it on something else. Um, so I think that the, the why we save is, is an idea you wrap around with that makes that saving worth it to you. So, for example, for me, saving money is so that I have more affluence so that I can help other people. For me, my greatest motivator is being able to help others. It's where I get my thrill mm-hmm. in life. Um, like material goods, I really couldn't care what car I'm driving, what clothes I'm wearing. My hair is like always in a ponytail. It's just, it just, I'm not inspired by, um, I never really shop. I just don't care. My seven-year-old daughter like, can possibly understand why, why I think this way, but whatever. 
Um, but for me, when I see that I can help other people live better lives, I get to do that. So I've made saving money about that, about what does matter to me, and I can see how saving more facilitates my ability to be more about what does matter. And that's what everyone has to find for themselves. And for some people, having a gorgeous home and really um, beautiful design clothes is their why, and there's plenty of women out there like that. For some, it's about being able to take care of others. Um, and uh, for some, it's like me, it's social impact. For some, it's simply the experience of being free and being independent and not having to answer to anyone. Um, and so it's about discovering what that is, and then savings becomes a motivator through that desire. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's dig in a little bit on the money types. I love the money types. Oh, my gosh. So helpful. I cannot believe how helpful that was. Not only Mm -hmm. just figuring out what the money type was and my one-sentence story, but also just the advice you have for each money type is fantastic. So I know. I benefit from it, too. It cracks me up. It gets me. I know. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. It's good for relationship. I'm thinking, like, okay, that's my husband's money type. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, no, it's really great. You could, you know, do a whole like breakout on that for sure. So I'm curious to see like what you've got five money types. Let's just name them really quickly. Sure. So the five money types are the producer, the epicure, the visionary, the independent and the nurturer. Right. And I'm the visionary. I'm curious, which one are you? I am 100% visionary. Yeah, that was 100%. We're like two peas in a pod. Um, few people get the like extreme levels. No surprise, you and I. I know, totally. Everything you're way. saying, I'm like, yep. Your whole money sentence, I basically wrote down. I'm like, okay, there's my money. Because I was trying to figure out what my money sentence is. I'm like, oh, yeah. no, Amanda's figured it out for me. And so one of the things that I see a lot is, especially in women, because you know, they get to a point where they're earning a ton and things are looking good and they're in this cycle of overspending. And I guess that would be the epicure. Yep. Um, although it can be visionary also, uh, lots of folks can get into overspending mode because they don't realize at the time that earning is not the end game, that earning is ephemeral. They don't understand the roots equation. Got it. And now... So are there, in those five money types, do you just see those, like, across the board? Or are there trends with regards to millennials or women or, you know, men? I'm curious to see if that's come out in all of your research and your work at Daily Worth. You know, the only um, the only thing that we've seen is that there's a lot more independence among millennials. That's the only commonality, which would make sense. You're kind of the the independents are the ones who are least interested in money as a whole and who are least interested in systems. They don't want to be a part of the quote unquote establishment. Um, and, uh, and they only see money as a pathway to freedom. Um, but the one important thing to mention about money type is that no one is just one money type. Everyone is a blend of all five. So you have either a strong leaning towards one or you are also really far away from a specific type. But knowing that as well um, is, is important in understanding how to interpret the advice that money type gives you after you've taken the assessment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Now let's go on because you've got a lot of solutions here. Whether you know we're we're talking about this huge, massive trend of women taking on a lot more, even more economic power than they already have, but also you know with that trend, we better get freaking jiggy with the whole internal self concept, self worth imagery or this is you know it's actually not going to turn out very well well we're gonna we're gonna miss a huge opportunity you know we don't know what will happen but we're gonna miss a huge opportunity here right and so i'm curious to see whether or not like you feel that we're at we're on the cusp of this yes we're we're at the the very very beginning yes Mm -hmm. so what do you see like let's just say daily worth, and you've got a couple of solutions here to get women in this mindset. What is your vision, let's say 10 years from now, and I want to go back and circle back and talk about what you're actually doing and offering women, but what is your vision 10 years from now? You know, I love that you asked that because my next book proposal is due, and I, and this vision is what I really want to focus on. And it, it has to do with the nascent idea of social impact investing. Because there's a separation right now between making money on your money through the stock market and philanthropy, which we all know is coming together. But the reality is, is if women are controlling trillions of dollars and we really start to understand how this money is invested, not only in public companies, but also in our communities, how do we start to move capital in a massive way so that wealth inequality doesn't continue to expand? and that the wealth inequality um, re- goes on a new trajectory toward decreasing. And I think that once we become more conscious of investor of investments and understand how the markets work, I think that money will start to flow in different ways, and it will have a much greater impact. It's not just going to be about I win, you lose. It's going to be looking at the bigger picture. And that's, I don't quite know how it's going to look, but that's what I want to study in my next book. Mm-hmm. And women being at the forefront of this. Well, women are going to control the majority of wealth. So uh, it's only for that. And the fact that women haven't had the investment responsibility in the past, we're like a blank canvas. And we're facing some pretty extreme issues in the world right now. And so because we're a blank canvas, because we're going to control the majority of wealth, and because of the unbelievable social um, and humanitarian issues that we're facing worldwide, it's a perfect storm of opportunity to create a different kind of economic system that that doesn't further the, the divide between the haves and the have-nots. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that women are more likely, and, and I know this is shifting, hopefully, with the millennial generation, but women are more likely to reinvest money they've made into businesses and communities that make a difference, a positive difference in the world. So, I mean, that would trend in the right direction with your vision for sure. Yeah. So we have about 44. So we also run a investment, a digital investment advisory, where if you want to open up a retirement account or an investment account, you can do so at worthfm.com. That's uh, another part of our um, business here. And uh, we have about 45,000, close to 45,000 women on the wait list to join this investment platform. And 70% of them have said, yes, please, I'm interested in socially screened investment funds. Bam! Awesome. 70%. And we're not even targeting particular niches of women who are progressive or spiritual or whatever. You know, we go pretty wide. 
Yeah. Um, and so we're very encouraged that everyone is starting to say, you know what, I, I do want to grow my money, but I don't want to do so at the cost of everyone else. Right. Okay, so Worth FM is the new sort of break off from Daily Worth. And this is yeah. an investment. Tell us again um, what this is. And what's the minimum investment? When you say a waiting sure. list, what are they waiting for? Acceptance or? They're waiting for us to be able to handle the amount of clients that are signing up. So we're just controlling the um, people who are signing up so that we can talk to everyone who wants to talk to us. Um, so when we, in, in just running Daily Worth, we sold a lot of advertising to brokerages who would help you with, for example, your retirement account. And we found that they were all talking in the old language, like you need to set goals and you need to have a plan. And it, was, it wasn't that that's not true. It is true. Those are good things to have. It's that it didn't resonate with most of the women reading Daily Worth. It, they felt it was either intimidating or that it shouldn't be their job or that they didn't understand it. Uh, and I realized that we needed to create an investing platform that was um, that served all types of people, especially those who were turned off by the way traditional financial services companies operate. So the minimum investment is $50. It's really easy to set up an account. All you have to do is sign up at worthfm.com. Right now it's a wait list, but that'll actually be removed very soon. Um, and anyone will be able to sign up. And you go through the sign-up process, and you end up getting three accounts, a savings account, an investment account, and a retirement account. You only have to use one. You don't have to use all three. But over the long term, we'll be linking all of your external accounts so you can see your net worth in one place and how it's growing. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. I love it. For had, some reason, had to happen. <laughs> it had to happen. I love how it's evolved. And on Daily Worth, you have one million subscribers, right? To your mm -hmm. newsletter and newsfeed, and um, yeah, yeah. So, and and how many people on? You've got forty five thousand waiting for Worth FM. How many people are actually on it? Using uh, the... we have six hundred accounts open so far. Great! Oh my gosh, it's so exciting. Just it, it is, you know, it's a, it's a dream that I created for myself and others almost 10 years ago now. And the more I see um, how women feel disassociated from their money and the, the, the lost opportunity there in terms of our ability to take care of ourselves and our ability to take care of others just drives me to want to do everything in, that I can in my power to create the products and the services um, and the engagement and not reproduce the same old, same old so that we can really see this transition happen. And that's the thing I just want to say for me that has felt so refreshing because I've spent so much time on the budgeting and that same old, same old that it's just so nice to do this whole net worth and focus on that. It just feels very high level, but you can see the, you know, you can kind of see the ticker moving. And that's just such a relief. Not that you're against budgeting, which was, you know, obviously not the point. But um, No, no, no. I mean, yeah. but budgeting works for some people and it doesn't work for others. That's the only thing. Either it works yeah. for you or it doesn't. And there's lots of other ways if you don't, if you're not good at tracking every penny. And I am one of those people. I'm just moving way too fast. I can't even, like, get off the right exit on the highway. That's how, right. like, in outer space I am half the time. I'm thinking about nothing. So. Right. Right. Well, so great. So anything else we need to know about what you're up to before we sign off here? And and then some final words for people who are just starting to look at this and are like cringing. 
Yeah, that that's really what my first words are. Is just you know, buy my book, worth it. I promise you that you will be engaged and mesmerized and entertained and appreciated. And it's none of the old stuff that's like you have to do it this way or you're going to fail. All that right. horrible stuff that doesn't work anyway that no one wants to read because we've tried that before. Um, and I just want to kind of you know deeply empathize with how hard this subject is and how we've been set up as women to fail over and over again, we've been taken advantage of, we've been confused, we've been told we're unfeminine if we do think about it. I mean, we're fighting a major fight here, and it's very emotional and it's tough, but thank you for being in my space, and I promise if you, you know, read the book worth it and then start to explore the other platforms that hopefully you'll find a home with us that you've been looking for. Yeah, well, I, I have to say I sure did. And my final words after reading this is that I'm just tired of being led by the nose to tell, you know, like, this is what you're going to spend your money on. This is what a perfect life looks like as a mom and an entrepreneur, as a woman, you know, and it just feels like what your book is doing is just saying, let's work together and recreate what it means to have a fulfilling and satisfying life that actually makes the world a better place. So I really appreciate that. Amen to that. Amen to that. Amen. Okay, Amanda. We'll talk soon. We'll see you in in October, right? I will be there. I will miss it. Yo. Okay. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye.